You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Broadway Curtain. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram, put a filter on me, at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to all of our episodes, old old and new, on the Broadway Podcast Network, iTunes, and Spotify. For over 60 years, today's guest has been one of entertainment's most beloved performers and artists. Audiences all across the world have welcomed her into their homes in such television shows as The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, Night Gallery, Marcus Welby, MD, Love, American Style, Fantasy Island, The Plane, The Plane, The Love Boat, um, the movies Herbie the Love Bug, and of course, probably her most recognizable role, that as Karen in the acclaimed TV series Not Slamming. And that is just her on-screen credits. Today, we celebrate her on-stage credits in such shows as Vintage 60, Bravo, Giovanni, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, Seesaw, The Tale of the Allergist's Wife, Wicked, and so many more. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Michael Bennett, Robert Morse, Charles Bush, David Merrick, Linda Lavin, and so many more, here is the queen of the talk shows, the one, the only, Michelle Lee. Michelle, how are you today? I'm very good. I'm I'm feeling great, and I, hello to both of you, and pleasure. everybody else who happens to be listening to us. We love that. Now, Michelle, I'm going to tell you, before we went on the air, we were nervous because I think you have been on just about every single talk show in American history, so we, we are intimidated today, but I wanted to ask you, who was your favorite talk show to go on? Which show did you enjoy doing the most? Joan Rivers. Oh, we love Joan. How come? Because she was, everything was so off the cuff. And mm. you never know. I, I never prepared because I could say anything with her. You know? I always teased her about the White House, you know, that, and she'd do her, because I would go to the, the White House. I was on the artist committee for Kennedy Center. And so whenever I'd come, she'd say, what is in your purse? And, I, <laughs> and she would grab my purse and open it. And really? Place. <laughs> A place card from the White House, Ms. Lee, with the stamp of the president. <laughs> you know, I said, and she'd always go, oh, puff, puff. 
had a lot of fun. She was incredible. And our listeners, you can take a look at those and YouTube those things. Now, Michelle, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up and was born in Los Angeles, California. I was conceived in New York. So I'm bi-coastal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you my are. Parents were, my parents were New Yorkers, uh, Bronx and Brooklyn, and eventually came to uh, the big city. And then that big city, meaning Manhattan and yeah. Los Angeles. No. And, and I was born uh, in Los Angeles basically because my father, who was great in art, uh, got out of high school two years early and someone decided that he should get into the arts in some fashion, came to Los Angeles, became a makeup artist. My father's name is Jack Dusick. And, uh, and so many of the things that he did, uh, at the then Metro Golden Mayor, uh, was, uh, I was a little girl and I'd come to the gate in front and I, and the guy at the gate, his name was Hollywood, Ken Hollywood, believe it or not. No way. And I would visit him on sets like, um, uh, Clint Eastwood's, um, Oh, the gun, the thing, the, the gun good, smoke. The, oh, gun smoke. Gun smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rawhide. Yeah. Rawhide. Rawhide. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I'm showing my A-G-E anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it was a gun smoke kind of a thing. Anyway, yeah. And my father was a makeup artist for Clint and for, um, and for, oh, the doctor, Kildare. Richard Dr. Chamberlain. Kildare. Richard yeah. Chamberlain. Yes. And uh, so I met many people through him before I was really acting. And uh, that's it. Were you enamored with it? Were, 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 did you sort of like look up to that world at all, you know, and, and think, oh, it, it, is that why you wanted to do it? You know, because you saw it from that vantage point? No. That's a short <laughs> answer. No, when, I good, was, good. when I was a baby kid, like three months old. My mother said to me, you know, when I was older, she said to me, you sang before you could talk. Because when I was in the crib, I was always making musical sounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How much can I do with this without the audience going click? <laughs> and uh, no, I wanted, ultimately, I sang as a kid. Uh-huh. And That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a performer when performers could uh, do that, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So anyway, I never thought of acting, being an actress, ever. Oh. Uh, No. Singing, yeah. Singing. And so when I was uh, around 15, 16 years old, I started singing with a band all over Los Angeles. What would you sing? Like, what kind of like a, what kind of music? What, what were you? What were you like? Pop oh. tunes, like. Uh... Oh, that's music. Hey, my voice is low. But feeling, why it's glow? Why the thrill when you say hello? That's I'm showing my age. Anyway. Yes. So, I'm gorgeous. I shouldn't make age jokes, except you started out with 60 years in your career. There's nowhere for me to go. That's <laughs> Also, that's it. <laughs> um, anyway, 
uh, let's see. The first, I'm going to tell you about my first audition because you mentioned Please. all of these television shows, which I would never put on my my uh, biography. Yeah, your biography. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. no because actually, Dobie Gillis was the first show I ever did when I was 16 years old. And when I saw it, I thought, you have to remember the year, okay? When I saw it, I thought I was going to die because I had pointy breasts. Remember those? No, you don't. Those, we had pointy bras. The, the bras. I know, I, I've seen, I, yeah. I bet That must you. not have been comfortable. Not. <laughs> okay, no, very uncomfortable. I mean, if you got anywhere near a person, it was, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, 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 okay. I sounded like Joe Rivers. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> I was on that. That was the first thing that I ever did on the air. And it was because I was doing my first show, which I will tell you about. Uh, the first show that I ever auditioned for was a show called Vintage 60, which was a huge hit here off, off, off Broadway at the IFR Theater, was seen by, um, oh gosh, what's his name? The biggest producer of all time brought it to... Um, Broadway, and we opened at the Brooks Atkinson Theater, right? Yeah. And uh, it was there for eight nights, and that was it. I became Michelle Lee. But I got to tell you first. Yeah. Well, what, that was the first thing you ever auditioned for. That was that was that was the that you just like. Where, where did you audition? Like, how did that audition go? What what there happened? A There's a story here. Okay. My dad, who tried to tell me, although they were very, very supportive, my dad tried uh, to warn me that I was going to be met with many obstacles, as we know. Mm. Okay. And right. you've got to have nerves of steel and skins of skins. <laughs> I had many skins of yeah. whatever. Yeah, thick skin. Anyway, he said, look, I want you to go to an audition. Your mom will take you. And I want you to see how it will be for uh, you as uh, an actor, actress, whatever, uh, and singer and entertainment to get slapped in the face, doors shut in your face, and know that this is how you're going to live. So my mother took me, I was 17 years old, literally, out of high school. And I went to my first audition. My father had the trade paper variety reporter, whatever that said, actors must sing, singers must dance, dancers must, whatever's left. And uh, so I, I went to this audition with my mom. I walked in and there was this guy, his, his name was Jonathan Lucas. And he was the choreographer and staged this review called Vintage 60. Mm-hmm. And I walked in there and I saw him, he's wearing short shorts and he was really <laughs> muscular and he had a cowboy hat on and he was jumping on and off the stage telling people to okay now do this dance step okay now sing this and he jumps off again I fell in love Uh it was Jonathan I fell in love with him Mm -hmm. and um then I got up on the stage and I didn't have I just didn't care I thought oh producers go out and they uh, take their garbage out to the street like everybody else. So I sang, you make me feel so young in the key of F, one and a half courses and attack, 
and the producers stood up to their feet and applauded. Yes. So um, we we got out of the theater. My mother said, "You know, forget Jonathan. Don't don't even go there because you see, he is someone who wouldn't like you. He wouldn't be attracted to you." Right. And I said, oh, oh, okay. And I I had no idea at age 17. This is the way it was, guys. Yeah. I had no idea what gay was. And, of course, it wasn't called gay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my mother, not in a derogatory way, because this was not my family. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, uh, he likes men. He, you know, what? Yeah. He's, he is a homosexual. And I thought, okay. So we got home, the phone rang, and the producer said, you got it. So my father had to eat his makeup sponge. And my my mother had to explain a little bit more about gay. So yeah. <laughs> it got to Broadway, as I said. And I got my name, Michelle Lee, by cutting off my last name, Dusik. My name was Michelle Lee Dusik. It's my middle name. And I kind of, because I was an unseen uh, actor at that time, so my my voice was beyond my ears. And I did a couple of songs in the show that were incredible. And uh, that, I'm not talking about me incredible, but of course I was. And <laughs> anyway, back to my audition. So I did day one. They went, oh, this young kid, she can sing. I was 18. She can sing. Then I came back the next day. I had to learn a couple of scenes. I came back and trust me, I couldn't really act. <laughs> I kind of smiled a lot. And that right. was good. And yeah. I always had energy, can you tell? Yeah. Um, so the energy, my smile and whatever, because I was playing the girl that Jezzede, that Giovanni falls in love with. Right. Yeah. So I had to smile at him a lot. That was my good acting. Uh, then uh, Stanley Prager was the director, and some of the songs were really incredibly wonderful. You had good songs. You had some good songs in that show, for yeah. sure. The one probably they would know more than anything was the song called Steady, Steady. That became mm-hmm. kind of a, everybody auditioned with Steady, Steady. Mm-hmm. And um, also... Oh God, I'm not gonna tell everybody everything I say, but trust me, I no. good. Oh, and- it was you know. <laughs> did you like to did you like performing in it? Was it enjoyable? I mean, did you have a good time at the time? I mean, of course in hindsight, but in at the time, do you remember being happy with the experience? Well, I was nervous and scared because it was the first book musical, don't forget. Yeah. So I was acting and it was like, uh no, I loved Jezede. Yeah. And- David Apatashu played my uncle. I was the niece. And he was so gracious and wonderful. It was a wonderful cast. So yeah. I loved that learning experience. But I knew that I, you know, it's the time you're, okay. I was learning my craft in the first shows I ever did on Broadway. Right. Okay. Because right. when you jump to, when you jump to how to succeed in business, um, how to succeed, of course, everybody knew. I mean, it was a Pulitzer Prize. Right. Big hit, big hit. 
gigantic beyond Frank Lesser. Yeah. And when I did that, it's interesting. Um, the, one of the producers was, uh, um, Larry Kasha. Larry Kasha was also one of the producers later on, uh, for Knott's Landing. Believe it or not. Yes. And he first called me, uh, he was also, one of the other shows that I did was called Parade. And he was the producer of that. And that was Jerry Herman's Jerry Herman, yes, that's right. The Off-Broadway, yeah. Jerry Herman's Parade was done in New York. And I did it um, a few years later in Los Angeles with our new cast. And so I became friends then with everybody who was involved on the other side uh, mm. of the stage. And so anyway, Larry Casher calls me one day and he says, um, there's this show, How to Succeed in Business, that really trying, uh, have you seen it? And it was already on. He was on the stage. Right. I said, yes, but I didn't tell him was. I had the biggest crush on Bobby Morse. Because I saw it like three times, and I couldn't believe the talent of this amazing man. Had, had you met him before, like like at a yeah. bar or something? Yeah, I hadn't met him before. I was just totally in love, enamored by him. Anyway, Larry Casha says to me, "Well, the 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 girl at the time, the girl's name who was playing Rosemary, was Bonnie Scott. I knew Bonnie Scott from." Ooh, one of the earlier off, 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 off uh, shows I did. Actually, Vintage 60. She was in Vintage uh-huh. 60. She got, excuse me, pregnant with twins. Oh, my gosh. And the book was, we've got to replace Rosemary. Now, I'm talking about this is the beginning of the show. Yeah. And I'm in love with Bobby Morse. Yeah. And I said, yes, I would like to do it. Are you sure? I mean, this is your, you're not the original. I said, I know, I know. But I was with the original cast for over two years, two years. Wow. So they didn't leave. They loved it that much that they stayed. I mean, they stayed with the show. It was, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. For two years. But see, I came in in the very beginning. So Bobby had a two-year contract. Wow. So I did the whole show with Bobby. Uh, and what was it like learning a show that had, because you had just done Bravo Giovanni where you got to create it, but this is a new experience already in your, you know, in your life that you're going to step into a role that had already been created and a show that literally had just started being up and running. What were those challenges like? Because that's not easy. Zero. Mm. No challenges. Should I tell really? you? This yeah, tell me, tell me why. Because like usually, you people are like, "Well, this is what she does, and that's what you." I mean, of course, you're a star in your own right, but do you did you uh, have rehearsals and stuff like? Oh yeah, oh that was funny. Mm-hmm. I had rehearsals. You know, I had two weeks rehearsals with no actors on the stage. Right, right. So you know, and so you're going out the door, and it goes out this way, and you have uh, understudies who are doing other lines with you. Do it. So the night I opened. The door in rehearsal always went this way. Right. The door on the like set. To the right, yeah. This way. So Keep I always pulling. walked down the series. The, no, the scenery, that was just one problem. But I'll tell you why it was easy for me. And I, it's not that I was a good actress. Um, I was in a learning mode, uh, which is kind of embarrassing to say because I was on Broadway. 
But the reason it was easy was the giant genius that Bobby Morse was. And the fact that Rosemary, from the first time you see her, falls in love with him. That was, I mean, what do I have to do? I just go out there and again, that smile, that's what I did. And I tried to do what I had to do to get him to notice me. And I became a little bit like the window washer in that uh, myself. (laughs) So, you know, I really loved it. And also I became very friendly with um, the girl who played Smitty. Her name was... uh, Claudette Sutherland, and she was amazing as this girl who really knew how to work everybody, and she was one of my best friends on the show, yeah. uh, in, in the theater, and she became my very good friend off uh, the stage also, and watch, she was already there, she knew what to do, and of course, I would stand off stage looking at Bobby Morse whenever I could to just see what acting was about and comedy and mm-hmm. um and then what he did was so gracious um because i became close to him okay i was very close to him not close enough but close to him <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway yep. Yep. Um, what i would do is watch him and then I would do the show, do my dialogue, and I guess in some respects, I didn't get some of the laughs that I could have. Mm. And Bobby would say to me, um, meet me in my dressing room at the uh, intermission. So I'd go in this dressing room and he'd say to me, look, when you say I've got to go to the ladies' room, pause for a count of one, two, three. And you'll see what happens. He was te- teaching me comedy timing. Mm-hmm. I just made up the line of dialogue. Okay. Yeah. So I would get up on the stage and I would say, I have to go to the ladies' room. One, two, three. A laugh. A laugh. Oh my God. He was such a genius. He was teaching me. You know, sometimes if you pause and just let it come, it comes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. if you're going to throw it away, it, it'll also hit. If you just mm-hmm. go straight through it, you don't have to hit it on the head. There's, you know, there's such, I don't have to tell you guys or the audience really, there is doing comedy, as they say, is more difficult than straight acting. Yeah. But yeah. it's all what it is. It all has mm-hmm. to do with the art of you know, the actor and also the people you're playing with, what you get from the other side and also how you are directed and how comfortable you feel with what they happen to be saying to you so that you can uh, embellish mm-hmm. the, the gifts that they're giving you. Yeah. Of course, the times that it gets difficult is when you absolutely don't think the director is right, period. <laughs> and that's not in these shows. You also got to work with Charles Nelson Riley. Oh, yeah. And the original How to Succeed. Uh, what was it like working with him? And are there any lessons that you learned from him that you still take with you today when you're performing? He was a miracle. Mm. He was a miracle in that he could do anything that you thought he couldn't do. 
you know, he ended up mm -hmm. as people there maybe listening to us know that he was a brilliant director. And uh, he did so many things with Julie Harris. I mean, he became, she, he was her muse. And they did so many pieces of art stage mm -hmm. across this country. Uh, the thing that I loved about him was, <laughs> was if anything went wrong on that stage, <laughs> he, he would ad-lib something brilliant, you know, out of nowhere. Uh, I'm going to say this poorly, but, you know, there's, there are tracks on the stage that moves furniture on and off or, you know, or a roundy round, you know, you're going about whatever it was did not work. So this, uh, <laughs> this piece of furniture from Bobby Morse's large office when he got it would not come all the way on. And Charles said something like, oh, French provincial. Look, it moves to me. And it moves, French provincial. And Those moments on stage when that happens, it is oh. just. Yeah. Well, that's how he was. I mean, it yeah. was. And I, I know what I was going to say about Bobby, where I hesitated before was mm -hmm. you know, when, when I talked about Michelle on stage as Rosemary. Yeah, she has to go stage left, downstage, whatever it is. Bobby Morse was in those days as brilliant as he was and he was. Um, he got he was a bad boy sometimes. So sometimes you wouldn't know where he was on the stage. <laughs> if he was supposed to be downstage, he was upstage. He was wherever. So the joy I got, and I don't mean this in a horrific way about no, it's just keeping it fresh, you know. It's this was my experience because I never knew what he was gonna do. And I had to do it right there with him. And I think because I was able to, we we became even closer. Mm -hmm. It was very hard for me sometimes to uh, keep a straight face, but then again. Rosemary doesn't yeah. have to. So. Yes, it makes sense. Oh my gosh! You you worked with these amazing people. Rudy Valley, also. What was that experience like? Rudy was wonderful. Very quiet, and uh, <laughs> um, you know there was always. Uh, no, I'm going to talk about his experience as an actor. He was wonderful in that show. He got great reviews. And for people who didn't out there who are young enough not to know who Rudy Valley mm -hmm. is was, uh, I almost didn't. I mean, he he was back there when there were no microphones. He had a what is it called? A, the megaphone. A megaphone. He would hold a megaphone off and he'd sing to his fans, and he was mm -hmm. extremely famous. Well, when he did the show, of course, people wanted the people who were old enough, especially, to know him wanted to see how he did his thing, how he sang. And of course he was funny in that show. He, he was perfect for that show because he was, uh, he was, Oh God, how can I say this? He was very stiff. Yeah. Um, he was, he kind of moved his body with his head. I don't know <laughs> how I'm saying this, but it was like perfect for the role. Mm -hmm. and funny. And he just got that dialogue and ran with it. But here's Christmas, okay? Ready? In those years, I was smoking, all right? And every year there was Christmas, 
Um, and of course, I only had two with him, but uh, he would come out with what is that uh, book then at that time that you could pick a present or something and you, <laughs> we had no computer, so you couldn't push it. But, you know, do you want gold, like a gold necklace like this? Or do you want a sewing machine? Or So we'd come with a book. You know, do you want, uh, and he would get, we found out he, he would get all these things free because he would use their book. And it was something everybody would know. And I don't remember. It's from the old <laughs> days, this book. Anyway, uh, that year I was so excited because I thought he was getting me this wonderful present. And when I got it, it was like this big for the audience out there. It was, imagine a carton of cigarettes. It was it was made, it, when it was wrapped, it looked like a carton of cigarettes. And the folds where you fold the paper were in the wrong places. So I know maybe he reused the paper. And uh, I opened it up for Christmas. And guess what I got? Huh. A carton of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to kill me. <laughs> I love that. Hello, this is Audrey Hepburn. Welcome to Crackertown Dinner Theater and Grill. Audrey Hepburn, this is Ann Miller here, and I'm disgusted. What are you doing in a place like this? It's all I could get. I didn't know about Patreon.com. I didn't know you could go there to set up a monthly donation to keep going. Well, the boys at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's living legends like me, they know, and their listeners do too. They go there and set up a donation, and they donate all they can. Oh, Patreon, it's wonderful, but will you be having the prime rib or the chicken? I'll be having Patreon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So, Michelle, how do you go from playing Rosemary on stage to playing Rosemary on screen? Oh, yeah. I did do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you something. Yeah. No same. big deal. No exactly. big deal. Probably wasn't a big no deal big at the deal. time. I look yeah. at that man and I fall in love with him all over again. But I right? an interesting thing that people didn't know about how to succeed the film. Because films... Uh, musicals, I should say, didn't sell well abroad, okay? It didn't. They didn't, and they didn't want to see straight plays or straight music or whatever. I mean, not music, straight funny shows. <laughs> um, so when we shot How to Succeed, we took, for them, we did two, we, we shot it two ways. 
one with no music for release, okay, abroad, all right? And what we would do is they'd add, they'd add a couple of lines of dialogue that would kind of explain if they had to whatever was said in the song, okay? Now, most songs, as you know, and one of the problems of a musical with songs sometimes is that they're really just repeating what you already know, unless it's a brilliant piece of music. Right. Um, but you, you, you've been there, you've done it, okay? So it really, the, the movie worked without music, and we just had to fill in a few lines here and there whenever it mattered. But I thought, that is interesting, is it not? I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. No, nobody does, I think. So is there a, a, a print of the film out there that doesn't, it's not a musical, right? It's just, it's just a comedy. I'm sure, I am sure someone can get it. I've never seen it. The only thing I would tell people is that if you have rented How to Succeed in Business, the movie, and you wait to the very end of it, when the credits are rolling, and we're all, all the cast at that time are singing, how to apply for a job, or whatever we're singing, mm-hmm. where they told us that we're, they're not going to see our feet, Okay. So when you walk onto a freshly uh, painted floor when you're shooting, you put on these little socks so you don't ruin it because you're going to have to do it again and use it again. When you see this movie, you do see our feet. And if everybody wants to see it, you see little black mucklocks on everybody, including the very, very fashionable Michelle Lee. Black <laughs> Literally, on the whole cast, so embarrassing. Like my pointy bra. <laughs> so, okay, so after after how to succeed, um, do you stay in New York or do you do you move over to to Los Angeles again? You know, I don't even remember, but I lived on and I lived for more years, many many years in New York, and I had an apartment there for oh god, I don't know, ten, twelve more years. Well, you did do a lot of uh, film and television between How to Succeed and then eventually Seesaw. Was that a conscious choice to to get on camera and, and stop being on stage so much? Well, I'll tell you, because I told you earlier that I my heart was in performing. And in those days, which I love, uh, were the, they were the days of the variety shows and variety specials. So, you know, these brilliant people uh, had their own shows or their own special. And uh, I did so many of them, but mm-hmm. you know, because um, here's a, for instance, there's a show that I did with uh, Carol O'Connor called of the I sing. Mm-hmm. Oh, apropos for today of the I sing was a uh, Broadway show in the thirties. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it was the sequel to, uh, or no, it was, that was the, uh, it no, was it's, Gersh, yeah. It's George it. and Ira Gershwin. It was yes. the first yeah. musical to win the Pulitzer Prize. And yes. let, the, let Them Eat Cake, that was the sequel. Let, yes, yeah. there was two. Yes, it won the Pulitzer Prize musical. So anyway, uh, this is marrying the concept of me doing uh, musical uh, comedy shows and specials on television. Carol O'Connor yeah. saw me 
doing a craft musical that was hosted by Bette Davis. And I sang, yeah. And the show was about Oscars, the Oscars. And it was Mm -hmm. out, that show on craft musical Mm -hmm. was shown around the Oscars. And I sang Thanks for the Memories as a ballad. And it was so beautifully directed. Dwight Hamian and Gary Smith did the craft musicals. They were brilliant. And uh, Peter Max did almost all of the music. I remember talking about giants in the business at that time. So when I did this, Bette Davis hosted the Oscars on uh, that particular special. I sang Thanks for the Melodies, but I sang it. Or the memories. Oh, thanks. There's goes my memory. Um, <laughs> thanks for the memories. Yeah. Um, and I sang it as a ballad. And what I used to do or do do when I when I sing as a performer, I really get more into the character who is singing that particular song than maybe most. Uh, other um, entertainers, singers, maybe over the top a little bit. I mean, really going into it like it's a piece of acting work. Well, I did this. It was so well done uh, by everybody I mentioned. And and um, Carol O'Connor saw it. And he said, I have to have Michelle Lee to do from that. And, of course, I, I did... Uh, um, Wintergreen for president uh, as uh, as yes. a character actor. I did it as uh, a comedian, and there was a lot of music. Actually, I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. I had so much fun with Bob Mackie. Also did the costume. I actually have the LP. I own the LP, Michelle. Like oh. I have it. Oh it's such because you can't get it anywhere else. It's not, and you can never, you would oh. never hear it. And I was when I found it in a store. I I was like, this is mine, and I love it. It's it's because it's so the television. It's 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 the television cast. It's really good. Because yes. when are you going to hear that score and all of that fun stuff? So yes, I'm, oh, I love your work. So here I did, I I brought up another theater piece of work that I did on television. So you, you, you do a lot of film, you do a lot of television, and then how does Seesaw enter the picture for you? Okay, it's another coincidence. Larry mm. Kasha. Larry Kasha again, Lawrence Kasha Larry again. Larry yeah. Kasha calls me, and he, uh, Gets me. I'm living in New York. Then he gets me on the phone. He says, uh, "Do you think you could handle a Broadway musical right now?" And oh. he didn't mean handle a Broadway musical. He meant when you're as I was. I was on the stage the whole time. I mean, seesaw. I was maybe off the stage three minutes. Okay, with a lot of music, and it's eight. You know, it's eight shows a week. Okay. Um, that's what he meant because I hadn't been on the stage I, I had, but not on Broadway in between right. I a lot of regional theater. Uh, but he said, do you think? And so what had happened, a lot of people know the story that originally it was uh, a musical. Of course, for those who don't know, it was, uh, it was William Gibson's Two for the Seesaw. 
okay? Mm -hmm. uh, that was a straight play. And uh, this musical was uh, the lyrics Dor Dorothy Fields, last time she ever did anything. Yeah. Okay. And Cyclone, my dear, dear, dear friend, um, miss him a lot. Uh, but anyway, uh, the role was spectacular. It's probably the, the best role I've ever done uh, for me. Originally, out of town, there were some problems. The show was okay. It was too long. Um, it was starring uh, Ken Howard and Lainey Kazan, who today is one of my absolute best friends. And they really, there's a whole story behind that. But anyway, uh, they felt that, and I don't know who it was exactly, but they felt that uh, Lainey was uh, too gorgeously buxom, which he was. We have heard, yeah, yeah. Uh, to play this dancer from the Bronx, okay? She's a brilliant actress, I will tell you this right now. Um, so they decided that she wasn't right for the role. And uh, they decided that they'd kind of get a new group together. Um, the book originally was Michael Stewart, of course, who was wonderful always. He ended up not writing it. The credit, the credit uh, was given to um, Michael Bennett. That's, there's a story there, too. And Ed Sheeran, who's oh, incredible, uh, he was let go. So they brought in uh, Michael Bennett, who was then there, really hot. And uh, at night, out of town, Lainey would be playing Gittle Mosca. Ken would be playing the guy from uh, Nebraska, Jerry. And, uh, and I would rehearse during the afternoon with Ken Howard is like talk with new lines, new d dialogue, new scenes, new songs sometimes. Okay. And I did a bad thing. And she knows Lainey because I was so upset for her. I made a mistake not calling her to tell her I had accepted this role. So it came as a shock and we didn't speak with each other for, ah, uh, God, I don't know how many years. Okay. Did you, you knew her beforehand? You had, you had known her before? I hate to tell you this because I jumped over it. She was in Bravo Giovanni. Yeah. Like, oh, that's right. Of course. Yeah, duh. And she had yeah. this incredible voice and this yeah. body that people would go, crazy for yeah. everybody was in love with her yeah. really, you know i was the niece get out of here it was Lainey. <laughs> okay Lainey kazan so i knew her from there we would go out afterward we lived in the same apartment building oh my in that's New crazy. York. he lived down the hall really i mean that's how close years later we were at a uh, a uh, new year's eve party and there everybody was saying old lang syne and she was across the table, across the room. I was on the other side. And we hooked eyes. Can you hook eyes? Maybe sure. a fish you could hook an eye. But I'm not sure. I hooked her eye. We looked at each other. 
And we both started crying. Um. We looked at each other, we were singing, we both started crying. And then we came together and hugged. And ever since then, we've been best friends again. I just got Truth. to yeah. Oh, wow. It, it, it's a movie. That was a movie. Yeah. But I don't want to play it. I'm having too much fun in life with a virus. Whack. Okay. So you're you're in Detroit with this incredibly new process and you're right i mean the character is off the stage like you said for for three minutes or so um what was it like working with michael bennett what was it like being directed and choreographed by michael bennett there was such <laughs> enthusiasm and energy um and uh you know the sense of don't worry about anything i got it under control and laughter but sincerity about the project and how we were going to finish it. He brought in uh, Tommy Toon, who remains one of my best friends today, oh. and me. And um, so I will tell you, uh, it, a lot of people know that near the end, we cut down. So we were like an hour over, okay? And we had to delete a lot of stuff. So I'm going to tell you something that people who knew me then know this is the truth. And I'm going to say it now. Every night after a preview, I would go to Michael Bennett's house, house, okay, condo apartment. And we'd sit there after the show for maybe two, three hours, just editing together, editing and writing lines that would uh, address the cut so we could go from one scene to another scene. Okay. So we shrunk this thing down and then, and I'm not putting a feather in my hat, but I am putting a feather in my hat because no one ever talks about this. I mean, I actually have a script here, a book, how to see, I mean, seesaw with my notes and Michael's notes about what we cut, all the original notes that we had then of course everybody has heard that um neil simon came in as a as a favor to doctor mm -hmm. certain scenes and they were brilliant unbelievable so he'd write a scene and i'd have to memorize it that night because it would go in the show the next day and of course neil simon doc was yeah. there in the wings watching me with huge pieces of dialogue. Try that one on. No, but it really went well. Um, I think that show, uh, yeah, I was, oh God, we did a lot of awards. It was nominated for Best Musical. It was nominated Michael Bennett, Best Book of a Musical. Uh, the Music, of course, Best Original Score, nominated me for Leading Actress. Yeah. Best performer as a featured actor, Tommy Toon, brilliant Tommy Toon. Best direction of musical nominated. Best choreography, he won it, Michael Bennett. Uh, outstanding performance drama desk, Michelle Lee. There it is. 
There it is. Dorothy Fields. Did you have any interactions with Dorothy Fields? I have to ask just because she was, we've heard many stories about her because, you know, many. Yeah. Um, But, you know, her work is incredible. And I know it was her last show. So I I was just curious if you had any interactions at all. Actors was not around while we were rehearsing or doing Mm. uh, uh, the music of the show. But Cy was. But I'll tell you what I did know. (laughs) Cy, and I do have it. Okay, I have Cy teaching me music. Um, uh, you hear Cy singing Gittelmaska. He's singing it, okay? Mm-hmm. And then I have, you know, so I have that for posterity, right? Him doing his music. Then I have Dorothy and Cy arguing <laughs> on tape. <laughs> okay, saying, writing a song, rehearsing. Oh, Cy. And you know, and so I would say, "Oh, Dorothy, stop it! Stop it!" Oh, <laughs> I love that. I've got all this. Actually, and I did a concert and an act uh, that was around uh, side, mm. and I would say it was one of the favorite things I ever did. And when I do the seesaw, what I call the the last song of a song of soliloquy at the end of the show was. Uh, me singing, I'm way ahead. So I did this wonderful uh, bow to Cy Coleman in concert and also an act. Uh, and what I did, which I loved, was I played live him teaching me the last song. Oh my goodness. The soliloquy, the finale, the seesaw finale. And so I start him off, and the p- piano is going, bah, 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 bah. And you hear him go, I must have been out of my head. I must have been out of my mind. And then it goes right into live orchestra. And I repeat what he's saying. So it was, yeah, it was great. I love that man. He was a genius. Michelle, you had said when we first started talking about Seesaw that this really was the best role for you. Um, What made Gittle Mosca such a wonderful role for you and what did what did you love about her Gittle Mosca just words fell out of her mouth whatever she thought she said and it was always pure and it was always honest and it was surprising uh and it was mostly funny Mm -hmm. not that she meant it that way but I think uh, (laughs) Doc Simon meant it that way um she also had this need to, to have people love her, but she had a need to make everybody happy. So she forgot about herself. And uh, the lesson learned in Seesaw, and it, it, it's truly uh, communicated in the Seesaw finale, is that this man that she just lost, Jerry Ryan, taught her, and she's left with, the gift he gave her, which was learning how to love herself so she could love other people mm-hmm. better. Yeah. And uh, just, I just loved her. I, you know, oh gosh, I don't want to talk about me so much, but wait a minute. This is about me. Hold it. Yes, we love it. <laughs> um, no, I just kind of flopped around the stage, you know, in a, when I say flopped around the stage, I, that's how I saw her. You know, she kind of, 
flopped around the stage. Flopped is the wrong word, but she just, I, I tried to make it as un uh, theater craft as possible within the boundary of it being theater, right? So there were times I looked upstage or, but it was all, it was almost like a dance, how I choreographed the, the rhythm of the woman, the persona of the woman on stage. So it almost looked like, oh, she broke that theatrical world. Is she, why is she turning up there and flopping up there and turning around again? Or, you know, it's, I'm not really expressing myself the way I should, but you kind of get the idea. Absolutely. It, it doesn't feel like a, I don't want to say calculated, but it feels organic. It's like we're observing someone in real life, which is something you didn't really see in musicals so much at that time. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely right. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Everything is different today. And I'm not saying it in a derogatory way. Everything is different, but it's different for a reason. And gosh, I wish theater was up again. Yeah. Very, very, oh gosh. Was okay. there was there a moment, um, you know, you talked about Rosemary and you talked about Bravo Giovanni and, and it was, you know, you just go on stage, you smile, and that was the character. You know, Giddle has so many emotional roller coasters. You get the drama desk, you're, you're nominated for a Tony because of it. Is that the moment that you said to yourself, oh, yeah, I am an actress? Yeah, I don't know how it happened, actually. Um I, I grew, that's about all I could say. And, you know, probably my music as uh, a performer helped me because remember when I said to you earlier, I always engage that character that I think I'm singing through the song. Mm-hmm. And so I do it well while I'm singing a piece of music. I always did that. I was able to do that. Uh, I'm not saying that it was always brilliant or great or even good, but that was how I studied, I think. And then um, as I'm getting older, of course, and watching other performances and understanding what theater was, it sort of just happened. And again, I say I'm not tooting my own horn. I just feel that I embraced the character I felt I was the character and she was me. Um, actually, that's one of the reasons I did love doing it is that I I knew at that point of my life, she was me. I, I did have the psychological characteristics of that woman. So uh, it was, and also therefore it taught me, mm. right? Uh, because I'm learning with her whatever piece of dialogue is happening throughout the show is really coming at Michelle Lee at the same time. And, you know, you just said that, you know, there was a lot of, in in addition to this learning experience, you were also watching other performers. Were there any other uh, actors or actresses at this time that taught you something about your craft through, through observation? I'll tell you one that just Albert Finney came to my brain and of course, it was early on, and I don't even know if the audience knows Albert Finney is. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. And of course, Albert Finney was brilliant, and I couldn't believe what he would do. And I can name a lot of other people. Um, but of course, Julie Harris, seeing someone like Julie Harris. I wish I could bring up all the names that I could uh, right now to tell you why um, I loved them so. And the reason I said, by the way, Albert Finney was that was during a time where um, 
I was in How to Succeed. And we used to go, uh, after work, we'd go to this place in New York called Downey's Steakhouse, right? And all the actors would meet there. And Albert Finney was always there. And again, you know, I keep saying I have crushes on people. Hello. <laughs> you just watch me. When you see the work of magic and genius, how do you not fall in love with them? Let me ask you, did you enjoy auditioning? Do you enjoy the process of, or did you enjoy the process of auditioning? No. Hate it. Hate it. What makes you so uncomfortable? Or what don't you like about it? Uh, you know, when I was a kid, first auditioning, as I said, the first thing my mom took me to, I had nerves of steel. It was like I got up there and I was, you make me feel so youngish. And uh, as time went by and you realize that your parents aren't paying your rent anymore, when you realize that it's on your shoulders and you realize, and I'm not talking for other actors, some actors are brilliant at auditioning and really find themselves and they anchor themselves and they go into the role. I, for whatever reason, and it's psychological, I'm sure, um, just, I, I never do my best work auditioning. And I think when I've analyzed it sometimes, I was not in my reading group in grammar school, okay? I was not good at it. So they put me in the C group. You see, here's a psychological problem right away. There was an A group. Oh, they were great. There was B group. They were kind of average. And I needed help, okay? Now, sometimes things like that stick with you. So the art of reading itself is sometimes a problem because I know that I'm in the C group. And I'm guessing at this. I don't know. Also, you want to be as good as your last show, right? There's all kinds of other pressures coming. And everybody wants the job. That's the other thing. Even when you look at the wonderful television that we have today. And there's some wonderful, when I say television, it's beyond yeah. Yeah. great actors and television. I'm calling it because it's telegraphed with a vision, whatever it is, there are major brilliant pieces that we're able to see with brilliant directing and brilliant actors and brilliant behind the scenes people that you've never, I mean, some, why do people binge because they get so involved with whatever it is, the miniseries, right. this, that, the other. But it is, it's wonderful today. And uh, time has shown that we get theater in certain television today. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you look for out of a director? What's the ideal actor-director relationship for you? I immediately thought of a negative for me. That's fine. That's, that's okay. fine. I can almost relate to any director or, or, or direction and try to make it work for the vision of the director slash and all the writers behind him, okay? Mm -hmm. But if anyone, and this has happened before, if anyone uh, in front of other people gives a derogatory... Um, give, say, the sense of feeling is like, oh, you could do it better, or why don't you, whatever, in front of everybody, that shuts me down. That's it. Come whisper in my ear, I'm fine. 
Who's right here? A little too big, Michelle. That was a lot. You know, Michelle's big. We can see it. And I'm not talking about my pointy bra. Michelle's big. <laughs> and uh, and I act big. And I am big. Sometimes all you have to do is say, bring it down. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's not here. Bring it down. More. And that's it. It's a wonderful direction. Or, or they could let me go in my bigness, okay? <laughs> uh, because that's appropriate for what they want. But right. if, if something becomes public, I, I shut down. Understandable. Absolutely yeah, understandable. Definitely. When you are when you when you've chosen to do a role and you sign on and you go, yes, I know I'm going to play this. What is your process like? Are you um, do you like to have you know made a bunch of choices before you go into the first rehearsal, or do you like to go and play and it's more of a gut instinct? Mm, interesting. Mm. One thing I start with is whenever I'm uh, reading anything for the first time, I. I have to be the audience. I have to shut everything down. Tell nobody to call me. I don't want the phone ringing. I don't want people knocking on the door. I want the doors closed. And I want to read the book, the script, whatever it is, as if I am the audience. Without stopping. Let it take me away. Let, let it take me into the world of uh, what, what this piece is trying to say. That's the first thing I do. And then... Obviously, well, everybody works differently, but obviously there might be choices that one makes a little prematurely uh, and doesn't take the time maybe to get into rehearsal and see what other people are giving them with, with uh, the choice in mind uh, already about who you think the person is, who you think your character is, mm-hmm. and marry it somehow, but allow it to change and grow according to what you're getting from the other actors and or the director who leads you another way. But the process is, thank God, um, when you have enough time, when you're doing a, a show, uh, uh, you usually have time to fool around. Well, I love that. I love improvisation. I love the ability to, uh, to go in there and just talk from your character and feel whatever the other character is giving back to you and why, and just come back at it uh, in whatever way it is that you feel at the moment. That that really does bring so much um, to to the character, to the actor finding uh, the character. One thing I'll say fast about television: I was in the show called Knots Landing. It lasted a long, long time. Oh yeah. Everyone said, why the hell did you do that show for so long? Well, one of the reasons I did it for so long was I was able to do so many other things when we were on uh, when we were on hiatus. I did so many other things. I was writing things and directing yeah, things. Yeah. Okay. But the thing I wanted to say was one of the shows we did, which people do not believe we did, there was a two-part Knox Landing that we did when one of the major characters was taken from the show. And uh, she passed away as a character on our show. We spent two days at our at the executive producer, creator of the show house, at his house, two days. Had to walk in the door in character, all of us. And the only time we were not in character, we broke for lunch, okay, or had five minutes, okay? So we, as characters... 
had discussions. We could, there were cameras following us, okay, writing down or or taking all the dialogue into uh, that camera. And we were in character talking at the funeral or the home of the character who had passed away. So we did part one before the funeral. Part two was right after the funeral. And it was, they, we were the characters. We played the characters. And to this day, I mean, those two shows were brilliant. A lot of people do not believe that it was real. They, they thought it was fake news. We didn't really do it, but we did. Anyway, wow. that, I don't know why I went into that, but it's no, a, I love that. The, That's the, really the process. The, the process, process is so wild. Yeah. yeah. How did you keep your theatrical chops up, or that need to perform live while you? Because uh, you were on Knots Landing for how many years? Count fourteen. And you did every single episode, correct? Yes. So how did you, when you were on hiatus, God bless you, when you were on hiatus, how did you keep your theatrical chops active? Or did you just really take that time and go, I need to decompress from such an intense schedule? Uh, there were years where I did only decompress. That Those were the um, Hawaii vacation years. <laughs> then uh, I was, I did do theater, not Broadway, but I did short runs on things sometimes in between. But um, I was actually doing, I, I directed uh, some films and I, uh, a lot of Knott's Landings. I did many, many Knott's Landings. And uh, so I'd work on a movie. I'd work because I had many things in development. So I, my, the creative juices were always going. And one of the reasons I was on the show for 14 years was that it allowed me the time to do what I just explained. And because the network always sees you as someone who's successful on their network, that I got a lot of things picked up and done because I was still doing lots of learning. And what brought you back to Broadway with the tale of the allergist's wife? What made you decide to, to come back and tread the boards, as they say? Charles Bush's manager... Uh, obviously, he knew what Charles was writing and that uh, Manhattan Theater Club was interested in it. And he thought of me as this character that I played in, in the play, uh, Lee Green, this uh, character. You didn't know who she was, what she was, <laughs> if she was real. Um, but anyway, he, he threw my name out there and I went to New York and I read the play with Linda Lavin and... Tony Roberts and uh, the director was there just listening to us throwing things around. And that was it. They just said, do it. So, uh, you know, the show, it was so funny and got wonderful reviews. And also I would say, uh, again, not that everybody has to know that, um, I mean, it, we were up for a lot of awards and, and Charles mm -hmm. was, uh, Oh, I guess the, okay, I didn't win that one. I'm just looking at a piece of paper. The Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Actress was Linda Lavin. And uh, <laughs> looking, where's Michelle Lee? Uh, I, was a no I was nominated for a Tony for Best Performance by a Featured Actress. Oh, yeah. There was, oh, a lot, oh, God. He won, Charles Bush won the Outer Critics Circle Award for that. 
And it was just wonderful. It was so much fun to do that we're talking about, oh, I mean, straight comedy, no music. So that was wonderful for me because, you know, I, I, it was like Michelle's not saying, oh, I guess she can really do comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, get, and get a Tony nomination for it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and love letter reviews. Love letter reviews. Yeah. So, Michelle, we always ask this to our guests, and, and it's, it's how we close the show. And I'm going to ask you if this is okay, which is, you know, knowing what you know now about the business and about your craft, what advice would you love to give to that, that young lady who was just starting out in, in Vintage 60? What do you know now that you wished you knew then? Gosh, I know it now, but I, there was something about what I went through that was really Cinderella-ish. Who goes in for your first job and gets right, right. This doesn't happen, okay? And so one after I, another, too, yeah. Yeah. So what I would say is, and I know my everybody says this to their kid, go to school, okay? I would say it, but not for everybody. I think people should go to school. I think some of the most talented people have gone to universities and got different kinds of doctorates and you name it. They're brilliant. They can find characters in, a, in, in another kind of way because psychologically and learning about the world, they're fit. Okay, that's one. Two, if you have the, pa- not all these necessarily, but if you have the passion for something, there's a reason the passion is there, but you have to be prepared for that passion. You have to be prepared for everything my father said to me. The doors are going to slam in your face. And you might go 102 auditions before you get your first one. You have to be Mm. ready for it. And also, it's very good, I hate to say this, to have something to fall back on. These are newbies I'm talking to. You know, go for your dream. You don't have to be a waitress right this second. Or be a waitress and go for your dream. Yeah. (laughs) That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Yeah. Michelle, uh, f- on behalf of uh, uh, Kevin and I, thank you so much for doing this today. But especially thank you for all of the people that have gotten to watch you perform for so many years. You were such an inspiration. Your work is so beautiful. And it's always a joy to see you in any medium that we get to see you in. So thank you, Michelle. Thank you. It was a beautiful day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And a big thanks to the punchy players, Jeff Marquis, who is bringing back Lucy, Betty, Judy, and Morda shill for us. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you come in. In order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us just one star and you can make us feel as baddie, baddie, bad as Annie did in that really weird production in Boston where Annie dreamt that she was being adopted, but then she ended up back we're in the orphanage right back where she started yeah true story rob saw it yes and it was batty it was bizarre i was there i was oh god so head on over to itunes and make us feel even more special than we already do
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.